0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. One of the greatest hallmarks of a New Testament church is their respect for and submission to apostolic teaching, apostolic doctrine. Jesus' commission to teach all things that I've commanded you was not lost on the apostles because they preached and they taught and they wrote. In Acts chapter 2, several thousand people were saved and they all continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. And none of them lacked anything because they pooled their resources. They were biblical Christians. But Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers To suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In the last decade of the first century, a fourth gospel was written. In the prior years, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had penned their synoptic accounts of the life, ministry, and passion of Jesus Christ. And as we read them, we learn quickly that they tell us much about Christ from this side of heaven, His earthly life, His birth, His early years, His baptism, his ministry, temptation, parables, then his passion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We see it all through their pen. But the writer of John and his gospel take a different approach. They're looking at things from a heavenly perspective. We're seeing Jesus from a spiritual place And 80% of what is written in the Gospel of John is not contained in the other three Gospels. That's astounding. And so let's pick it up in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, interestingly, John's authorship is not mentioned in the gospel. His name is not found in the gospel. It is found 20 times in the other three gospels, but not in his. And there is no claim to authorship by John. And yet, church history tells us that John is the author, as it indicates Matthew, Mark, and Luke penned their Gospels. How do we know? Well, John discipled individuals, as you well know. And one of his first century disciples was a man by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. He was actually appointed as bishop by eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ who had seen him during his ministry, who had seen him before he was killed and had seen him after he rose. And Polycarp discipled a young man By the name of Irenaeus. Irenaeus was the bishop of Lyon, France. He was born in Asia Minor. And as a child, he personally knew Polycarp. And was a, a disciple of Polycarp. And Irenaeus, in his writings, tells us this. John was a disciple of the lord who was with jesus in the upper room and he wrote the gospel of john good enough for me john is the brother of james they are the sons of zebedee who has a fishing enterprise of the sea of galilee and these young men grew up fishing and it's there that Jesus calls them. John names himself, and in no occasion in his gospel, but he does refer him to, to himself in this unusual way. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like, that's sort of arrogant. No, that's sort of knowing who you are in Jesus Christ really good, because you and I tonight are also disciples whom Jesus loves. John has a purpose when he writes, and you find it in the first chapter as he talks about John the Baptist, and he points out that John's purpose is to announce, this is him, the one whom I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon, because he who sent me to preach told me that the one whom." The Holy Spirit descends on in the form of a dove. This is my son. This is the Messiah. This is he. Starting in the first chapter all the way to the 21st, John gives us his purpose, but he summarizes it in chapter 20, verse 31. And I love this passage. John says there's many things written, but these things are written that you might believe that jesus is the son of god and believing that you might have life in his name or that you might have salvation in his name you say i already believed jim well then you should be more as excited as i am because every time i read this and every time i grasp this how great god's love and what a mission i'm on What a mission we share to have the opportunity to tell people here in Salt Lake and to the ends of the earth that Jesus is the Son of God, because when you believe, you may have life in his name. In the gospel, John uses the word believe nearly 100 times or forms of it. He tells us to have life or to have salvation. You must believe in him. That's his clear message. Now, I, I find it fascinating that Matthew and Luke give a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Literally, a line of descent from an ancestor. Both Matthew and Luke, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. And there's so much meat in there that we could focus on, but we don't have time tonight. But suffice it to say, Matthew traces Christ from Abraham. Abraham, the father of... Of faith. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or imputed to him for righteousness. Didn't work, he believed. Because salvation's a gift. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter three that the promises were given by God to Abraham and his seed. Paul says, not seeds, many, seed. Singular. God gave promises to Abraham and his seed, and Paul fills in the blank. You don't have to guess. He says the seed of Abraham is Christ. Wow. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises. Bypassing Moses and the law, taking us right back to the father of faith. I love the law. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. If there was a law that could save us, Paul says, this, this, could have, this could have been it. The problem is the law just shows us that we missed the mark and that we need a Savior. Luke, on the other hand, doesn't trace Christ from Abraham. Luke traces him from Adam, Luke chapter 3. Adam, who committed high treason, who disobeyed God, who died spiritually and, and brought spiritual death on humankind. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 47 the first man was from the earth a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Oh, that's, that's packed full of revelation about to be uncovered. We are dust, created from the dust, and as God said to Adam, we'll return to the dust, at least in this physical form. But John, on the other hand, John reveals the genealogy of Jesus Christ by taking us back, not to Abraham, not to Adam. He takes us back to the beginning. What? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, And darkness moved upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was. In the beginning, John says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Wow. Three times in verse one, he says the word. Three times. Why doesn't John explain to us what he means by the word? I will tell you why. Because his audience in the first century understood what he meant, it was common knowledge by Gentile and by Jew, that the Greek term, Lagos, for Greeks had a philosophical connotation. For the Greek philosophers spoke of the Lagos. They said it was the impersonal creative force in the universe. It was the influence. It was the entity of wisdom. It is the order in creation. If there is divine design, there must be order. And that's what they said the logos was. It was the entity of wisdom, but it's impersonal. That was the Greek approach. The Jewish understanding was a bit different. The word... Or the lagos of God is the expression of God. It's the revelation of God. It's God declaring Himself throughout the old covenant. You've heard it before. And the word of the Lord came to so and so. And the word of the Lord came to prophet or 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 priest, or sometimes even a king. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So, what John is telling us here is that the the Logos is not an impersonal force. It's not the embodiment of wisdom. John says the Word of God is a person Jesus Christ, who in eternity past was the Word. And we are familiar with him as the Son and refer to him often as such. But in eternity eternity past, he wasn't the Son, he was the Word. Then John goes on to share what I think is one of the greatest theological statements in the New Testament. And thereby he introduces the doctrine of Christ. I think this is so important. I have been living the last decade and hope to go for the rest of my life dedicated to promoting and declaring what is essential Christianity. The first essential, biblical authority. Second essential, the nature of God. Third essential, the doctrine of Christ. Fourth essential, the doctrine of salvation. Those are four things we need to agree on. Those are the four things that will help people to. Be ushered right into the kingdom of God because they will place us in right relationship with God. And John is introducing to us this doctrine of Christ. And what he tells us here in John 1, verses 1 through 5, is that Christ preexisted, Christ coexisted, and Christ self-existed. Now, this is important because a right understanding of who Jesus is equates with a salvation that saves. I can introduce you to people all over the world who don't really understand who Jesus is. Many who believe he is someone other than who he tells us and who his word declares that he is. A right understanding of who Jesus is, critical. Critical. So the first, Christ's pre-existence. What I mean by that is He possessed the nature of eternity. Back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, it says, He was in the beginning with God. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Christmas verse. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Bethlehem of of Judah. Though you be small among the villages of of Judah, out of you will proceed one who will rule my people Israel, whose goings forth have been from old. He's been around a long time. Even from everlasting. He's an everlasting word. Then there's Christ's coexistence not only did he exist in eternity past but he coexisted with God by that I mean he was equal with God and the distinction between Jesus and God the word and God it's not not made by me it's made by John it's made by scripture verse 2 says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made He's in the beginning with God, he is God, but he's not God alone, he's with God, do you see? He's God, but he's with God. How can you be God and be with God? And then everything is made through him, but I thought the Father created. I thought the Holy Spirit hovered over creation. Well, interestingly enough, God the Father and God the Spirit were active agents in creation. But through Christ, everything was made. Everything. Everything that has been made was made by Christ. Who made Christ? He wasn't made. Because everything that was made was made by Christ. And without Him was not anything made that's been made. We've been made. We are not God, we are not eternal. We are not equal. We are not pre or co. And then there's Christ's self-existence. Self-existence refers to his deity, stand-alone deity. In other words, his divine status, his quality or his nature as a supreme being or as a creator. In in, in verse 4, it says, In him, in the word, was life. In him was life. His being is life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, So John writes not only his gospel, but he writes letters to believers subsequently. And in 2 John, I want you to look at verses 9 through 11 with me because it clearly refers to what we're talking about. It says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide or continue in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The distinguishing of Father, Son, Holy Spirit again. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive them into your house nor greet them. For he who greets him shares in their evil deeds. You say, I've heard of other people. I've heard other people that, that, that have a different view. John tells us what to do about that. We have to embrace, we have to receive, we have to abide in this doctrine of Christ to have the Father and to have the Son. You can't just believe what you want to believe about who God is or who Jesus is, and God's just going to say, well, that's okay, because I'm just, going to, I'm just going to be graceful toward you. No, because he gave us his word. He gives us the gospel of John, and he says, the word was in the beginning. He didn't have a beginning. He was in the beginning with God, and everything was made by him. When it says, whoever transgresses, it literally means to, to go ahead, or to wander away, or to go too far. As we open, Paul referred to it. He says, teachers, suiting their own passions, will turn people away from listening to the truth so that they wander off into myths. A lot of people believe in myths today. Yep. Not totally their fault. Trust me, all of hell is dedicated to people believing myths and not believing that Jesus is God. Why? Because if you don't understand who Jesus is and what he did for you and I, you may not be a candid- candidate for or a recipient of his gracious gift because you really need to understand what's going on here, what is, is taking place. So if you go ahead or you wander away, you go too far re- regarding this doctrine or teaching of Jesus. And what is the teaching? The teaching is Jesus' is deity. Jesus is God who came in the flesh. Now, of course, this doctrine is confirmed in the New Testament. Paul, Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 1, and the writer of Hebrews, I already read the first couple verses, but let's go back to Hebrews 1. Listen to what, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews has to say about Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who does? Jesus does. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then, verse 8, listen to this. And again, when he, speaking of the Father, when he, Father God, brings the firstborn into the world, Jesus didn't have a beginning, But the word did become flesh. The word who was eternal with God takes on a body via the virgin birth. He has no human father. There's no bloodline through a father tracing him back to Adam because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. after making purification for sins and so on. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, God says, let all God's angels worship him. Now we know, we know when we understand that worship is forbidden except to God. The commandment, first, honor God. No graven images, honor God. That's where we start. We must honor God. And then it says, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, again, the Father is speaking, your throne, O God. God even calls God, God. Father God calling Jesus or the Word, God. He is. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 10, again, Father is speaking, and you, Lord, Lord, Father calling Jesus Lord. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. The heavens will perish according to God as he's speaking of his son, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not as a created son. Not as a subjugated part of the deity. He is God with God. You say, how can that be? Glad you asked. You see, the word didn't become or develop. He was, he is, and he is to come. He has no beginning, and he's not becoming. We are becoming. And we had a beginning. And we are becoming every day. But Jesus, he's not becoming. He is. He's being. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. And he wasn't a God. Now, trust me, I know... We can look around today and we can find examples of churches or religions that diminish the doctrine of Christ. But I like to stay focused on the first century. And trust me, there were many. There were many in the first century who diminished the person of Jesus Christ. Who said he really wasn't God. He just was a servant. He was just a messenger. This has been going on since Christ walked the earth, and I'll tell you why in a second. He wasn't a God. He, he was fully God, and he's fully man. That's another one of the criticisms. That's another one of the attacks. Well, he was God, but he really wasn't a man. He just seemed like a man. Error. you got to get the doctrine of Christ straight. He was fully God, fully man. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh. John 1:14. The pre-existent, co-existent, self-existent one humbled himself to the limitations of a body in order to save us. I have used this working definition For the nature of the one true God all of my ministry and I, I think it's helpful and I'll share it with you within the nature of the one true God there are three distinct eternal persons the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit they each possess the attributes and characteristics of deity these three persons are the one God now, some say, well, that's a mystery. I can't fathom that. I don't think it's that difficult. That's what it is. One God, it's three persons. It's not one God who appears in three different manners. It's not one God with three personalities. It's one God presented for time and eternity as the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is the doctrine of the Trinity, which is embraced by Orthodox Christianity since the first century and has been fought against since the first century and still is today. But you can grab onto this and you can talk to anyone that you're sharing with and let them know and be bold about it because it's what Scripture teaches. They say, well, you know, my church or, or, you know, I'm... My my teacher or well my perspective or this book or this revelation. Ah, the word. What does the word say? What does the gospel of John say? What does Paul say? What does Peter say? It's it's repeated over and over again. Now look at Colossians chapter 2, 8 and 9. I think this is really important. See to it that no one takes you captive, that no one takes you as a prisoner. Through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. So you can build on the foundation of Christ or you can build your life and your spiritual hopes and dreams on these four other things. And I think almost on every occasion where I've had opportunity to discuss an answer an attempt to help individuals who were confused you could you could chalk it up to philosophy the philosophies of men yeah. empty deception yes. based upon human traditions i've been struggling with this one my whole life because i was raised roman catholic When your tradition takes the place of the word of God, you are faced with a difficult decision. Well, our leaders, the magisterium, they together decided. Scripture is important, but the magisterium, the authority of the, the church. The church gets its authority from Christ and his word. They do not displace it. And so beware, but there's one more. The spiritual forces of the world. Now we know all these things to be true. Look at it, philosophy, empty deception, human tradition. And uh, if that's not enough, you say, well, I'm smarter than those things. I can outwit the wise. And I can overcome the deceit. And I'm not falling for the dogma or the tradition. But there's one other problem. The God of this age who Paul says has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't. Spiritual forces, we know about this. The whole spiritual complex of Lucifer and his fallen angels, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. What do you think they're dedicated to? And what do you think they were dedicated to since the first century? When people believe the Messiah might have been born, what does Herod do under the inspiration of demons? He says, kill all the, all the boys under the age of two in the region. And they did. What were they trying to do? Kill little boys? They're trying to kill Jesus. They were trying to kill the word of God, at which they didn't understand. Because if the if the powers of darkness had really understood, if they had really grasped, they would have never killed the Lord of Glory. That's what Paul says. But they're in their arrogance and self deceit. They thought they would triumph, but no, no. Like they say, it's Friday but Sunday's coming. And then it says in verse 9, listen to this. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Did you hear that? In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in a body. Now we know from Paul's further teaching, and we'll we'll look at it for just a second, that that he limited himself in the flesh. But he did it by his choice. Who did it? God did it. God limited himself in a body. But he was fully God and he was fully man. The second Adam. The seed of Abraham. In 526... It says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And back in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, in him was life. Life was the very essence of the word. It was the operating principle. We're not talking about biological life here. We're talking about spiritual life. You can be born biologically, but if you want spiritual life, if you want to be born of the Spirit, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. It's not a religious thing. Nobody can do that. He does it. And nobody can come to him unless he draws us. The Holy Spirit's got to be involved, and the Father's got to bid us to come, and all that. Wow. And verse... Ford goes on to say, and the life was the light of men. Now, that, that's used interchangeably. The life is the light of men. The life of God in Christ, the life of the word becomes light to our darkness. In John 8, 24, we read an interesting statement. Jesus says, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Right? How many of you are familiar with the IMs of Christ in John's gospel? Powerful. Let me just refresh your memory. Moses, backside of the desert, flee from Egypt, flee from Pharaoh, wandering, herding sheep. Sees a strange sight, a bush that burns and is not consumed. I think I'll check this out. So he approaches. As he nears the bush, a voice rings, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the ground that you step on is holy. And God reveals himself to Moses and commissions him to go back to Pharaoh to free the children of Israel. And Moses says, This is great. Who should I tell him sent me? What's your name? And God says... Before that, John tells us no one has seen God at any time. The only Son of God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Many theologians believe Exodus chapter 3 is a theophany. It's the Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Just like when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, We know that's Father God, that's God on the throne, right? Well, that's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament says, it's Jesus that Isaiah saw. I'll give you chapter and verse, I don't have it just, I think it's Luke that shares it. It's Jesus, it could be Jesus here in the burning bush. I am that I am, that's my name, I am that I am. What does it mean? The self-existent one. That's who he is, self-existent, self-perpetuating. So in John's gospel, Jesus says it a few times. John 6:35, "I am the bread of life." John 8:12, "I am the light of the world." John 10:9, "I am the gate of the sheepfold." John 10:11, "I am the good shepherd." John 11:25, "I am the resurrection and the life." John 14, 6, I am the way, truth, and the life. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. To the Samaritan woman at the well, we studied it together a few weeks back, John 4, 26, she says, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will will help us to understand all these things. And Jesus literally says... Speaking to you, I am. It doesn't read that way in our English Bible, but that's what he literally said. Speaking to you, I am. He didn't just say, I'm the Messiah. He says, I am the self existing God. Wow. But we know he's with God because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, three persons. Not three personalities. Not God acting as a father and acting as a son and then letting us have a glimpse of his spirit or his attitudes. No, three persons, one God. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John say, well, let's just set up some tents so we can hang out here with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah for a while, because this is great. Voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Jesus isn't throwing his voice. He's not a ventriloquist. There is a father. There is a son. The Holy Spirit is an agent of God in creation. The Father creates. The Old Testament tells us. Isaiah 40. And Jesus was the person of the Godhead through whom all things were created. It's amazing. It's powerful. As Jesus taught in the temple, many believed, John eight fifty eight. Jesus says, because they're talking about, well, Abraham's our father. You know, we are, we're already tied in with Abraham, the father of faith. Because, you know, we're Jews. And so Jesus says to them, poignantly, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Oh, my gosh. They couldn't believe what he just said. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow the self-existent one. That's powerful. And that's the word of God. It's not the word of man. I didn't get this from a denomination. It's not a creedal statement. Wasn't taught it by a priest or a discipler. Got it out of the word. It's the apostle's doctrine. It's the teaching of the first century church. And trust me, all of hell hates it and they try to corrupt it every day. Finally, he was arrested in the garden, John 18, 6, and I'm almost done. And they said, where where is this one called Jesus, the one they call the Christ? And when he heard it, he, he heard them say, Are you Jesus? And he answered, I am. And it says they went backward and fell to the ground. Who did? The guards, the brutes. This was the brute squad. No match for the word of the logos. Hmm. So the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Some versions say comprehend it. That's not what the Greek word is, it's overcome. The the darkness is not trying to understand the light. The darkness is trying to overthrow it. And they have not, and they will not be able to, but trust me, believers are being persecuted today in the earth, and thank God he is with us. He fills us with his spirit. He will take us through everything. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. It could come to America. We better get ready. We don't know. And so 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, this is the message we've heard from him and we declare to you. John's writing again, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, we're lying and we're not living out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will be having fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. God's Son purifies us from all sin. John unequivocally says in 14.6, I am the way, as he's quoting Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So is Christianity exclusively correct? It has to be. It has to be. And, And I'm not embarrassed about that because I didn't create Christianity. I didn't think it up. God decided how he was going to save his creation. And when we we substitute our methodologies, they're substitutions. Peter says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He says there is no other name. And Jesus says no one comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because Jesus is eternally self-existent. He put on flesh, then he purchased our salvation. And so Paul writes, Philippians 2.5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count, listen to his words, equality with God, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself he self-emptied by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus came to die. God came to buy back his creation. Wow. Oh, good. Sir. Amazing love. It's, it's unbelievable when you contemplate what God has done. So who is he? What should our response be to him? He is I am. He is being. In Acts 17, 28, Paul says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And apart from him, we don't. So Paul writes this. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you might even put up with it readily enough. In other words, there will be those that come proclaiming another or a different Jesus. These are the teachings or the doctrines of demons. I don't have time to get into that tonight, but your pastor will. There's Gnosticism and Doceticism and modalism and all attacking Christ's deity or Christ's humanity. But trust me, they attack Christ. Because if you can throw out the Savior you can invalidate a lot of salvations. I want you to know the light still shines today. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can come back to the keyboard if you would. Back in 1738, immediately after Charles and John Wesley were converted, Charles wrote a hymn. Now, these two studied at Oxford as young men, and they were ordained as Anglican ministers. They were itinerant preachers to the American colonies during the mid-1700s, and you cannot study American history without learning much of John and Charles Wesley. They were founders of the second largest Protestant denomination in America, the Methodist Church. And Charles, just after he was saved, wrote a hymn called And Can It Be? Considered to be one of the best known and best loved hymns associated with the conversion experience in the history of the church. You've probably heard it, or parts of it, but you ought to look it up and listen to it. In the third stanza, his words... He left his father's throne above, so free, infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me his mercy all immense and free for oh my God it found out me the first stanza and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood died he for me who caused his pain think about those words died he for me who caused His pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? I can hardly fathom it, Lord. We are amazed by your amazing love. Thank you for the gift of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, who we know is the eternal Word with God. He was God. He was with you in the beginning. He is God. And we surrender today to you, Father, to you, Son, Jesus, to you, Holy Spirit and we're grateful. Oh my God, it found out me. You see, God is searching through the earth and He's looking for people. As Christians, we often think He's just looking for us if we're walking right with Him so He can show Himself strong on our behalf, but He's looking for people because He loves them, and He's winning them back to Himself through that man who emptied himself of the glories of heaven that he might take our place. And so today, Jesus Christ, he's sat down at the right hand of the Father and he's knocking on the door of hearts. I trust you're already saved. I trust you already trust him for your eternal life. If you're trusting yourself, I'm sorry you are in a philosophy of men. If you're trusting a church or a, a dogma, a creed, a religion. I'm sorry, that won't suffice. Trust Jesus. Open the door of your heart. He's knocking. Open the door of your heart and welcome him in. He says he wants to come in in fellowship, share a meal with you, have an intimate relationship because he died for you. We declare the message, and he's here tonight to confirm it. If you've never accepted the Lord, I invite you tonight to take the first steps toward him by simply saying, yes, I believe and I repent. Repentance, the change of mind. And then God changes our heart. What's the change of mind? It's that I can't save myself, that my religion isn't enough, that I I fall on the mercy of God. Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I will endeavor to make you the Lord of my life with your help. I I know it'll be a struggle because I've been selfish all my life. Just pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I believe you're welcoming me now into relationship with you. I believe you died and you rose from the dead and you're alive today. and I want eternal life with you because I realize now that I was made to worship you. I was made to walk with you. I was made, and you made me, and I yield my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit.